This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast. I'm Jeff O'Neill. And I'm Rebecca Shinsky. And we're recording on Thursday, November 16th. On today's show... Book Riot's Best of 2023, the winners of the National Book Awards, and more end-of-year news. We could make three podcasts out of this, Rebecca. We really could. (laughs) And we might have to leave some off. I think that's very possible. That's why when I was writing this intro, which longtime listeners will notice, we have a new intro to the show. Right. Did you feel like you you were like in a dream, listeners, to hear a slightly different intro? What are what Did are they feel doing? Feel like is the wrong thing. Well, what are we doing? Tell well, them what we're doing, and then we'll so get into the, the show. We are we, we're in the midst of a glow up here yeah. for the Book Riot podcast. Starting in 2024, we're going to do two episodes here in the main feed every week. We will keep the news on Mondays, and then on Wednesdays, it's going to be a little bit more of a variety show. We'll be bringing over the It Books of the Month segment that you've been doing at First Edition or that we've been doing together in your Mm -hmm. First Edition feed. We'll be bringing that over here to the Book Riot pod one week a month. We'll be covering adaptation news. We'll be doing some more stuff like having Kelly on to talk about the Britney Spears memoir with me, bringing some of our editors on to talk about other recent pieces that they've worked on, giving ourselves a little more space to keep talking about more of the things that are happening in the world of books and reading, or as you put it on a call with the staff yesterday, it turns out we have more things to say to each other. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So we're going to say them here. Uh, So that'll be Mondays and Wednesdays in your ears here in the main feeds and bonus episodes for our premium subscribers on Patreon are going to start going out on Fridays in 2024. If you haven't joined us on Patreon yet, we're also going to be talking about this a little bit more. We're doing something of a membership drive while we we have our glow up. Um, We love to make the podcasts. One of the ways that these podcasts are sustainable for us as a small independently owned media company is through listener support. So if you're thinking about If you like what we do here and it's a valuable part of your week, for $5 a month, you can join the Patreon. You'll get ad-free early access to the regular shows. That'll be the two shows a week starting in January. And for $10 a month, you will also get those plus the bonus content that we do most weeks. And you hear us talk about those here. So if you've been thinking about it, this is a good time to join because we're about to start wrapping up the year with a bunch of, you know our favorites, stuff we missed, gifting tips, all sorts of things, you can do that at patreon.com slash podcast. And to bring it all back around, as part of our glow up, we decided we it was time to let go of what's new, cool, yes. and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. So we'll try to That's tell right. you at the top of the episodes generally what's on the agenda, but one of the uh, quiet as it's kept bits of this show is we often have like nine things on the agenda and we talk about two or three of them. So I didn't want to overcommit us with what I wrote yes, into this intro. That's right. 
There's a reason one of the perks is not you get access to the agenda of the upcoming show. <laughs> right. It's I not thought you were going to talk precious. about this. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to miss it. And some of this stuff, because we are in the heat of the awards, best of, Book Rights, best books of the year is on our agenda today. We will get to that when it's first up. Um, but thank you so much for everyone supporting. Give us feedback, podcast at bookright.com. We're going to be playing around yeah. with what to do. There might be a newsletter. There might be some social feeds. God love us. Um, we'll see. We're going to see. Um, we may do a survey to ask if we were going to do one social network, which one should we do for the BR pod? Um, so keep an eye out there. And thanks so much, everyone, supporting the show by listening to it, sharing it, whatever else it might be. We're going to be playing around. But mostly this episode that goes on Mondays will remain the same. But in doing the Patreon, especially and then first edition, like we have more ways of making stuff. Um, and then the first edition feed will stick around, mm-hmm. I think. My plan is just to keep it sticking around. The it books will move over. And it really will become more of a literary history, behind-the-scenes publishing kind of a show. So, for example, episode just went up this morning on first edition. I talked to Professor Courtney Thorson about her new book, The Sisterhood, um, which is about a two-year window from 1977-1979 where a group of black women writers started meeting monthly to talk about their writing, to connect, to network. You, you may have heard of some of the people mm-hmm. here, Alice Walker, Toni Morrison, um, <laughs> all the people that you Just didn't, that were like sort names. of junior people um, in, in publishing and in, in um, the world of, of letters. And it's a really interesting book. And it's a 30-minute interview. And then with Dan Sinekin, I did something similar for his book, Big Fiction, about book conglomeration. So it's a little more harder core is not the right thing. It's a little more academic, scholarly, history, um, where this show, I think, is best served when we are talking about books writ large from a reader's point of view. But if you're a former English major, someone interested in history or the publishing world, first edition is still going to stick around to do that, probably still twice a month. Um, we'll see. But in doing the Patreon and doing a first edition, like maybe the highest and best use of some of these segments is to make it regular stuff. Some of the stuff we've done on Patreon will come in over the free show, um, just because I think it's the best use of, say, our annual power rankings. That should be a yes. publicly free show. Um, and we'll do more of that stuff. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, gifting requests for the Holiday Rec show. We need them by Tuesday, 1121. So this comes out on Monday morning early or ad-free for the Patreon people on Friday. If you're listening to this on Monday, you have 12 hours, basically, to send us an email if you're interested. And we could take a few more. I think if you're one of those people that emails us on Monday, we will get to your recommendation request. That's my sense of it. Now, okay, let's do our first sponsor break and come back to talk about lists and winners. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, The Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. 
Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased increasingly more sus when he and Shuei barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eilin for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Um, I think probably weirdly, the Book Riot Best Books of 2023 is our least sort of chatty thing to talk about because um, we open it up to our contributors mm-hmm. and they each they, there's sort of a mad dash to fill out the spreadsheet to pick their favorite. Um, there are only a couple of full-timers. We do not have picks on here because we do our favorite books of the year as a, as a different part of the podcast a little bit later. Um, I summed this up in Today in Books saying... I always look forward to this. It's probably as diverse and wide ranging of a list as you're going to see out there. Yes. Um, and it's always been the case, and I think ever thus it shall be not broken up by category. We kind of have one big uh, list of books going all the way from, I don't know, I guess Chain Gang All Stars, so National Book Award winners, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. All the, we have Vaster Wilds. I was glad to see that show up there, of course. But Yellow some face. kids' books, graphic novels, you know, self development. 
uh, good stuff. So go check that out. Anything you want to shout out here? I'm not even sure what we say about it at this oh, point. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I w- was thinking really the same things that we're talking about, several. we might talk about several lists today. Yeah. And of those, I've read the fewest titles from the Book Riot list than from... Right. The mainstream right. <laughs> list, and I think that's exactly by design. We Book Riot covers all kinds of stuff. We can get a little nichier and a little nerdier, mm-hmm. um, and our contributor core covers and reads and covers a lot more of like deep genre than either you or I tend to read, yeah. and so that shows up in this list a lot. I've only read four of these. I was oh, really. I didn't count glad to see all the beauty in the world by Patrick Brinkley make the list I've seen it bubble up on a couple this was one you got to first and recommended to me I think here on the show Mm -hmm. really enjoyed it a really lovely memoir um, by a man who quit his job after a big difficult life moment and became a guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art worked there for 10 years just soaking up knowledge and beauty and learning all kinds of things Um, I just I really really enjoyed it and it's one I think about a lot um, it might come yeah. up on the gift rec shows. I haven't looked to see um, if there's a category or a request where this fits in, but it is one that I've recommended widely. So um, I was really happy to see that. I think up. my dad might be getting this for his birthday mm, next Good week. pick. Yeah. I, I don't think I gave it to him for Father's Day. I, I need to keep a list of this. Does, <laughs> does anyone do this? Keep a list of the books they've given people already? Because it came idea. out in February. I may have given it to him for his birthday for... Um, uh, Gotta find like a sneaky way to find out. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I don't know because I order from different places. I might have ordered a local, and that's everyone. That's a problem for everyone. So I definitely should spend a few minutes on what I got my dad six months ago. (laughs) Um, I've read six of the books. Okay, like them all. I you know, and so I guess the one we said we got Vaster Wilds. So I guess as transition, this is not the kind of list where you're trying to be comprehensive. Right. or notable, this is just idiosync. This is not Book Riot's list. This is the list of personal favorites by Book Riot contributors, right? Yes. Which is mm-hmm. kind of how we do this. So that something like, say, Heaven and Earth Grocery Store not appearing here doesn't mean anything necessarily, right? right? Because it is now, we're going to have to figure this out. Um, maybe the last first edition episode will be the It Books of the Year. Maybe that will be the last <laughs> one that we do over there for that. Mm-hmm. It is now in contention to be the It Book of the Year. And I think there is only one thing to argue with it. And I think that one thing will probably, just for the the sheer force of cultural weight in sales, and I'm talking about Fourth Wing here, Mm -hmm, of course. mm -hmm. But were it not for Fourth Wing, I don't see how I pick against Heaven Earth Grocery Store for the It Book of the Year. Yeah, I don't see how there's anything. There's no contender now, now there's that we're no here. And, and tell them why. We, we're, because, we're bearing the lead, but why, well, is there, why is there no contender? Because I get to run a victory lap. Barnes & Noble named the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store its book yeah. of the year uh, after we were sort of taking bets on the nominees last year. And it also appears on Amazon's. It is the number one Amazon editor's pick in their Have list we ever seen this double? I, I haven't done a look. Oh. Have we ever seen a double like this before? Mm, I, will, I need to go back and check yeah. last Last year, I know the lessons in chemistry year when Barnes and Noble picked lessons in chemistry, it was on the Amazon yeah. list, but I can't remember if it was number one last year. Okay. Um, but they do tend to have some overlap, but the, one book getting the number one at the same time, I'm not sure of. But it's, mm-hmm. it is everywhere. It's also one of the nominees for the Goodreads Choice Awards, which is on our list. It's one of the Time 100 Must Reads books of the year. It's, it's everywhere. And it's sold. 
and it, it sold, sold well. for good reason. Yeah. I was saying on our staff Slack that I'm so delighted that now I get to retire my James McBride is criminally undercelebrated rant. Like I this don't know is, how we keep great. that out. I don't know how we break <laughs> no. that anymore. And no. Yeah, I don't. I don't want it. I don't want to have this rant about people. No. I want people who should be celebrated to be celebrated. And I'm so so happy to see this happen for James McBride. I think this book is going to sell even more in paperback, and I am just I deeply deeply here for it. Um, so that's a good way of transitioning over to the best books of the Barnes and Noble list. Um, the top twenty books of the year. Uh, there's a piece Laura Miller wrote in Slate today. She did the thing she did for um, Colleen Hoover with Fourth Wing. I don't mm, know if you happen to see that. I theory. haven't she seen that Fourth yet. Wing. No. Um, let's just say Yeesh. I think was used in the subtitle. Uh, which is not what you... <laughs> she was she was not gentle on Colleen Hoover. Is it no. even harsher? Uh, I don't think it's harsher. Okay. I think it's it's a similar thing of like, this book isn't good, so what's the deal <laughs> with why people are reading it? Um, and I, I don't know... I'd love to pick the brains of the people at Barnes & Noble and Amazon by putting it their top, their best books of the year. Because mm. I don't... I could believe they really think it is one of the best books of the year. My suspicion is that it's more like there's a little bit it book quotient happening, crawling yeah, into it, yeah. where putting on this list is part of capturing the ethos of what's going on in books, which I'm okay with. Of course, as, as the progenitor of the it books <laughs> designation, I totally get it. I'm a little unsure about yeah, whether think, or not these is like, they're like, yep, you know, of all the books we read, it just so happens that the best-selling phenomenon genre title is also on the list at the same time. Yeah, it's one of those grains of salt that you have to take when with yeah. the retailers' best of lists because their first job is to sell people books. That's and right. that's different from what Time Magazine is trying to do or what we're trying to do with our list mm-hmm. or what Publishers Weekly is trying to do with theirs, which is help people find something to yeah. read and probably help them help guide them along in their gifting attempts but if you're a retailer and you've got somebody who like i don't know has to buy a book for someone who reads just a couple books a year and they maybe have not seen fourth wing yet you Mm -hmm. have to i don't know that it it's justifiable to make it like the book of the year um if it's not a good book and we have not read fourth wing yet so i'm reserving judgment on that so far um but i do think Best means different things to different sources. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Though I'm scrolling down, and there's six breakout boxes mm-hmm. for editors' personal favorites, and Fourth Wing is on there. Yeah. Um, Kemi Tay, who looks like she, I'm guessing, is she at this point specializes in romance, picked it, singled it out for editorial acclaim. So there, maybe there's a world in which this isn't just, you know, a, a list of the 20 best in some abject, abstract way. It's like specific people making specific choices. Right, mm-hmm. um, but I, I just am not sure. Again, the scale the scale of popularity is wild because the Coven of Waters on this list too, yes. a hugely popular book. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Oprah really put what she could do behind it. It sold well. Um, my dad read it and talked to me about it. And he loved it. Um, a doctor who likes to read up market fiction, he's like an easy mark for this. Yeah, that I makes think. sense for for geese. Um, and it has forty thousand ratings on. Um, Amazon Fourth Wings has 112. Interesting. It's just 
huge. It's just enormous. Yeah, um, that's, that's Heaven huge. Earth Grocery Store has 10,000, 10, 9.5, mm-hmm. which is a great showing for that, but like 10x. Yeah. 10x. And then we've got like the comer of the berry pickers by yeah. Amanda Peters, which was Barnes & Noble's Discover Award winner this year for debut fiction. I'm reading it right now. I'm only like 25%. I finished it. Oh, yeah? It yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Seems like a solid debut. Solid um, debut. And that is on this Amazon list. It only has two hundred and forty-five ratings, mm-hmm. but I and two and, and then about ten times that many uh, on Goodreads. I can see here, so it's starting to pick up. I do like this about these retailer end of year lists that they take the big stuff that you kind of have to put on. Like you've got to put Fourth Wing somewhere on here because you're trying to move units. You've got yeah. Oprah books, you know, Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, Wellness, Covenant of Water, um, Jasmine Ward, stuff that was visible to people. But then you've got something like the berry pickers that was really not getting big publicity as we've talked about at length debut novels are hard to sell to readers but getting recognition from a barnes and noble pick getting onto an amazon list like this can make a really big difference to the career of a writer like that and can get people who are doing Mm -hmm. their end of year shopping to pick up this thing that maybe the thing it has going for it is that you haven't heard about it in 500 places and you're shopping for somebody who reads a lot so it's you know, you can take a flyer on a debut and have a greater likelihood that that person has not already read it. Yeah, glad to see all the sinners bleed here by S.A. Yes. Cosby. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting, the mystery guest by Nita Prose, the sequel to, um, or I guess not a sequel, uh, the follow up to her breakout book, um, is not even out yet and made the list. Pomegranate by Helen um, Helen Elaine Lee, also one of the more mm-hmm. mid listier of the mid listy. Dennis Lehane, Small Mercies, is on the list. He's with 11.5 thousand ratings, I think this. I had this on one of my it book lists, and we were like, ah, "Who does Lahane?" That's that's a performance. I don't yes, know. I'd be curious to hear about them. And then one of the mid year phenomenons is uh, "Hello Beautiful" by Anne mm-hmm. Napolitano, which makes it here too. So Oprah, a good showing. Um, I also say kudos, frankly, to Amazon. And I don't know that the the Barnes and Noble list came out first, and they picked Heaven and Earth, and they didn't change it. They like, okay, we're doing that too. Um, Berry Pickers was a, was the Barnes and Noble Discover pick, and I think that's yeah. when we first started picking up on the mm-hmm. radar. And they included, so there's no territoriality here. They didn't mind. My 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 favorite, I don't know, favorite. I was most delighted to see Age of Vice by Deep D. Kapoor mm. on this list. You've been talking about this, this all year. I thought this was tremendous. Uh, a debut novel. I'm pretty sure debut came out in February. Page Turner, kind of a Godfathery. Story. I mean, it's, it's it's organized crime. Someone who comes in from the outside gets involved. I thought it was tremendous. Our coworker Clint read it and liked mm-hmm. it as well as too. And those are the two people I know that have read this. I've read the Berry Pickers. I can say just picking between those two, Age of Ice, it would be my pick for debut. Interesting. I also liked In the Upper Country by Kai Thomas. I read earlier in the year too. But Age of Ice, I tore through that. Yeah. I can see why Berry Pickers is getting picked here mm-hmm. it is way more and I don't, you probably 25 percent, and you probably are getting the, the vibe already it's much more book club friendly of, yes. of buying it at an independent bookstore and age of vice is in your face and messy and big and anyway and the blurb for the berry pickers that it's perfect for fans of celeste ing and ann patchett like come on yeah i, I don't think it's quite at that level but i can see why the yes was i can see um, how they got there with right. that one. I think that Age of Ice is going to have to be one of my end of year catch up reads. You know, I missed I, it right before it came out. It's on the list. Yeah, I think 
you know, I don't know. I haven't looked at the specific recommendation request, but I'm going to find a place to recommend it because if you're looking for crime, you're looking for page turnery, you're looking for big generational, there's a couple things you could do there. But I was thrilled to see, um, you know, the future by Nomi Alderman's on this list. Only two, only 72 reviews, but it just came out. It's so brand that's new. a little bit yeah. unfair. Um, to do that. You want to move over to the, the Barnes & Noble list or you want to spend another minute on this? Where do you want to go next? Well, I just want to also make sure that we do notice that our dad book of the year, The Wager by David Grant. I just I just took that as read. That yes. just, that's, that's, that's <laughs> Obviously just it's on, here. on the list. Yes. Um, so we go over to, to oh, was I trying to click on Barnes & Noble? Mm. Did we do that last week? <laughs> we, well, yeah, we did Barnes & Noble's finalist for book of the year oh, last the year. Oh, the finalist. Okay, we don't and need so, to do that again. Yeah, we don't need to do it again. And Barnes & Noble did name, I don't know if they did author of the year last year, but so this year, Heaven oh, and Earth yeah, Grocery Store is book of the year, but they have named David Gran the author of the year. Now, my guess about this is that, you know, it's because The Wager came out and was the dad book of Flower the spring moon. and summer. Killers of the Flower Moon is out now on the big screen and the paperback has been selling like gangbusters once again. And I believe that like I well I don't know what's going on because of the uh, writer strikes and actor strikes but I uh, think there's a Lost City of Z adaptation that we should be getting in 2024 mm. um or I know that there's an adaptation in the works I think we should be getting it in 2024 and like that's just going to be you know everything's coming up David Grant <laughs> so interesting yeah, to I'm see trying that. to think if there's other I mean one of the reasons I guess this was, we were doing a hot 50 Right, mm-hmm. but that was a Patreon episode. I had the Killers of Flower Moon on there, and we did note two David Grand books, and that's super unusual. Now, again, <laughs> Colleen Hoover would have won of the last two years in a row if we're uh-huh. doing. No, I'm, I'm not joking. No, no, yeah, she yeah. would have been. It's unusual, I think. Hmm. Well, and I think if the, Rebecca Yeros uh, had had 18 backlist titles when that Fourth was my Wing only thought, got big, like, she would. Is there been another the contender? It'd have yeah. to be Yaros as a contender. Has mm-hmm. to be. Yeah, I think that's right. Because you have two books out and it's a phenomenon. But I think the one-two punch of there's a big prestigious adaptation out coming to homes for us all to watch um, in the winter here. Yeah. If you can see it in the theater already. That Colleen Hoover really did still own the first part of this year. Yeah. And Rebecca Yeros has picked up the second part. So it would be tough, I think, to pick between the two of them right now. We don't know like how long know. this fourth wing thing is going to last. And Iron if, Flame sold 550,000 yeah. copies in hardcover last Bananas. week. Bananas. That's a lot of books. It is a lot okay. of books. We're moving down here. So Victory Lab, congratulations to you for the BN Book Thank of the you. Year. I love the author of the year. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, let's do a sponsor break and talk about the National Book Awards. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo, for sponsoring this episode. 
This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Okay. Okay. I was thrilled to see um, the one category with which I have any right to comment, the Fiction Award, Mm -hmm. went to Blackouts by Justin Torres. I talked about this as Frontless Way already, didn't I? Yeah, Mm -hmm. okay. Um, evocative, elusive, virtuosic, um, meditation, remediation of specifically um, the stories of gay people in the late 20th century. Uh, thrilled to see it. I yeah. thought Changing All-Stars had the lead going in. Blackouts would have been my second choice. Mm-hmm. And then the two books I haven't read would be my third and fourth choice. And then... <laughs> Then I didn't have a fifth choice. Yeah, I was uh, refreshing my Instagram feed last night, like just barely keeping my eyeballs open, waiting to see the fiction winner, <laughs> just to know, like, is Jeff going to be sleeping easy tonight or is Paul Harding going to win this thing? I was in such a state of continued <laughs> denial that I didn't even think of it as a possibility. I really thought it was unlikely. Um, I yeah. did some speculating about who was going to win as a bonus feature for the Today in Books right. newsletter a, a month or so ago when the finalists came out. And my my money was on Chain Gang All-Stars with a second tip to Blackouts as well. Um, it has the, I have not read Blackouts yet, but hearing you talk about it, reading what I've read about it, it has a lot of the elements that you can see yeah. how a panel of National Book Award judges would mm-hmm. appreciate like that particular way of approaching fiction and what Justin Torres's project as a writer seems to be. And now that he's had a couple books, I think we are getting a clearer picture of what it is that he's trying to do as a writer. So that's really interesting. Yeah, the first book to be printed in sepia to win the National Book Award for Fiction. I think I can say that with some okay. degree of uh, 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 confidence. Um, I guess there's a couple other storylines in the National Book Award that's worth yes. mentioning. One is LeVar Burton saying, is there any Moms for Liberty here? <laughs> Raise your hand, and no, it says good, so we don't have to throw hands. So LeVar Burton immediately becoming the best choice to host all of the things. Oh. Um, natural fit there, of course. But Drew Barrymore could never. Yeah, could never. Um, also, a group of the finalists made a statement together, and I'm not really sure in the timeline where it happened, um, calling for humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza and calling for um, denouncing uh, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. Um, at the same time, I thought a reasonable and elegant and quite, you know, I guess, I'm not sure the word to say, but um, tempered, but important statement. Mm-hmm. It's, of course, is important, but a tempered, but meaningful statement. Um, probably much more tempered than, say, one Zibby Owens or Book of the Month Club was expecting. Zibby yes. Owens, the owner of Zibby Media sponsor of the National Book Awards decided former to pull sponsor. sponsorship <laughs> former sponsor pardon me decided to pull out 
as sponsor and attendee of the National Book Awards when there were rumblings that some a statement would be made. Um, I don't know today if, if Zibby Owens is glad or not glad with her decision based on based on what the thing was here would say. Um, I, Book of the Month took a stranger approach of continuing to sponsor but not attend. I'm not sure what hmm. message you were trying to send there. You can I think have you our money. Piss everybody off at that point. I'm not sure. Um, and you know, I don't have anything else to say about that. But to note that, I think the National Book Award statement, which I'll try to find about in the in the run up, saying basically. You know, this is a platform for writers, and political statements had been sta- said in the past. Um, but I think there was a lot of consternation for Owens Zibby, Zibby Media to pull out in such a mm-hmm. fashion, and the statement they published and gave to Publishers Weekly was um, quite heated. And yes. I don't know, I don't know if that shaped then the statement that was made, um, but that was notable and. I, I think kind of brought more attention to it than it would have if, if Zibby Media had not done anything. I think, I think there's a Streisand right. effect here considerably. Yes, I think that's right. That if there had not been this anticipatory, you know, pulling out of sponsorship and the, of the big statement about it, authors would have won awards, people would have made statements, there would have been some coverage of the statement the next day. But since it is very tempered and they are calling for both an end to anti-Semitism and Islamophobia... Mm-hmm and not taking a like a really pointed side um i think it would have just kind of been in the news but not it wouldn't have been a headline yeah. it would have been uh, like the third or fourth paragraph of a piece about the national book awards but because of the anticipation around it and the the concern people pulling out everybody was looking and waiting and watching to see what yeah. these who was going to make statements and what they were going to be and of course now there's a lot of follow up coverage of the statements it's tough. And I totally understand how if you, especially like if you are spending a lot of time online, you might expect the rhetoric in real life places to also be very awful. Yeah. Um, like that's a, it's a concern I really, really understand. Um, I was heartened by the approach here. There is, there is no perfect statement to make about mm. what is going on in the world right now. And certainly no statement that makes everyone happy um, from their individual perspectives. But I think these writers did a good job of trying to thread the needle that it looks like they were trying to thread. And that was heartening to me in a way of like, right. Most of the time when we are in spaces with each other, most people can be reasonable and present the kind of statement or argument that is respectful. It's not all Twitter out in the real world. Um, But I understand, especially if you've been on the receiving end of anti-Semitic language, um, not wanting to just risk being in a space where that would ever happen again, or put your authors in that kind of space, a tough decision to make for sure. Yeah. And I don't think, I'd be curious to see what people who study this sort of thing. This is not the kind of thing that the 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 ADL is going to make a statement about tomorrow. <laughs> that went right. on. The, it's just not that kind of. A, it's, it just didn't turn out to be that kind of a statement. And I think someone could clearly quibble with: Did you include enough of this part, or there was too mm-hmm. much this? But I also think it's the kind of thing where you're getting into the world of books and ideas and publishing and sponsoring a literary award probably the kind of thing you should be able to handle as a sponsor mm-hmm. is, is what the statement turned out to be. That, that's yes. my take on the whole matter. Uh, even if you don't agree with it, 100%. Um, uh, we can run through the other winners. Interesting to note, all people of color, mm-hmm. all dudes, mm-hmm. which is unusual. I mean, yeah. 
it's hard to ask for the exact representation by demographic percentage every time of the people that might qualify for this. I, I can't imagine this has ever happened before. I don't yeah, have the, I, uh, um, and I don't know that there's anything said about. There's plenty of finalists. Yeah, certainly um, there have been panels of all male winners, but they've just historically been yeah. all white men. <laughs> and each of the each of the panels are independent of each other, right? right? Because there's judges mm-hmm. that so they don't know what the. I can't imagine they have any sense of what the other winners are going to be. So it's not as if there's like a. I mean, it's systemic, of course, but in this particular microstructure. I, I don't know what to do. I just noted. I noted in today's books. I didn't really comment on because I'm not even sure what to say, but I did notice it. I did notice it. Yeah, I think that's all you can do is note it, <laughs> that yep. there are a lot of things going on here. And absent a big reorganization of how the National Book Awards functions, it could mm-hmm. happen again. It also means that you could end up with a slate of all women winners. Absolutely. Because the judges are not you know, talking with each other about, you know, here's who we've got here's who you've got are we trying like it does not seem to me that diverse representation across the groups or across the winners um is one of the goals that that they're trying to serve here at least one year at a time perhaps it's you know over time we hope that when you look at the body of national book awards winners you see a diverse representation of who's writing in america and what they're writing about but I mean, five books, it, it, this is a lot of work to ask five books to do in any one given year. Yeah, no, th- that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think yeah, it's, I'm agreeing you with know, you. kind of bridging on our <laughs> um, discussion last week of that 35 years of National Board Wars data, like one sam- one right. one bit of data is just one bit of data. Right. And I think you need to look longitudinally to see because you're right, the coins could flip differently and I wouldn't be surprised in a given year to say, at this point, to see four, um, excuse me, five women win. But mm-hmm. five coin flips is unlikely. I mean, that's, we've said this too. It's just, mm-hmm. It just is unlikely. It's possible, of course, um, but it is unlikely. All right, where are we going next? Um, Goodreads Choice Awards kickoff. It has happened. <laughs> it has happened. Um, the notable things here are, I guess, just in the makeup of the categories themselves. Mm-hmm. We have lost any kids' book category at all that's below young adult. Middle yeah. grade, picture book, all gone. Gone. It's a, an interesting choice. I have heard from publishers that exist in the middle grade space, especially, that it is a really tough time out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they pointed to end of COVID. A couple people pointed to a story we've talked about on the show before of Barnes & Noble taking less oh, stock, yes. mm-hmm. especially in hardcover, especially debut. I don't know if there's trickle on, trickle down. I don't know what the prepositional phrase after trickle uh, show title should be for <laughs> acknowledging or attributing or, the change. But I, I, did you even see what did Goodreads explain why? No, they not did that. that? I, why not, not have a middle grade book? Yeah, I haven't seen it. I wonder if this has something to do with data that they have. You know, Goodreads does have just piles and piles of data. All Goodreads no one, is I mean, really. I hope that's not true. That they're like seriously, we can't even get together a group uh, like um, at the same. Uh, or yeah, or do do middle grade and children's books just have so much less engagement across Goodreads? But even if it, it had less engagement than all of the others, I I would think. I mean, make one up. Like this is what yeah. editorial discretion is for. Pick the books right. that you, could you come up with ten, I right? Mean, or pick the ones that have been selected by the people who are engaging with children's books and let those people care about them and vote on them. Removing it from the awards absent some kind, like a lot of people pay attention to this is a, yes. an important piece of it. 
if it's already hard out there for middle grade and children's books, taking away one of the places where they do get a platform and some visibility just makes it even harder. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm disappointed to see that. They On the expansion side, they added a standalone romanticy category, which I don't think we've seen this before. I don't think we've seen like a phenomenon become so big that Goodreads adds a category for it. Like there wasn't a, I don't know, magical boarding Psychological schools. thrillers one after Gone Yeah, Girl or, or something yeah, like magical that. boarding schools during Harry Potter um, or no. dystopia during that whole run. Um, yeah. Interesting to see. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be, well, here's, I'll tell you, we were talking in the company Slack channel today. I was looking through catalogs and talking to publishers. There's going to be enough candidates for romanticy. Next oh, yeah. Year, I'll tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's go- if you're reading romanticy, you're going to be like Lucy with the chocolate at the chocolate factory coming out <laughs> next Truly. year. It's some of these are going to tank too, unless well, I've got this I completely mean, wrong, which is to. possible. They have to, they have to, because there's a huge regression runs. to the mean man. They're making big, expensive editions with spreads, you know, which is Rebecca's favorite word. If you're new to the <laughs> show, you just want to email me with um, clips of you saying spreads, and I'll forward it right to her. My birthday so is that, coming up. Yeah, it is coming up. We'll send her a. Um, uh, uh, we'll get her to the. We'll get her to the spread of sanity uh, with with enough of those oh, no, happening no, at the no, same no. time. Um, but that's that's going to be real. And I I was even I said kind of glibly, but the more I've thought about it, it might be an interesting little data. Um, what I can find in Edelweiss is how many sprayed edge romanticies are going to come out next year with print runs of more than 200,000 <sighs> copies. I conservatively said 30. I I think that's a good guess. I don't even know how to decide between the over and yeah. the under yeah. on that one. But just each one of those is a big expensive bet. And most so of them expensive. are going to tank, like just yeah. by virtue of how publishing works. Most of them are going to tank, but a couple will take off and will pay off for the publishers. And that's the whole game. It's always yeah. the whole game. It's just really, we we can see it a lot more clearly when you can see a publisher or really every publisher doing something like, yeah. here are our couple big sprayed edge romanticies. We want to mm-hmm. get in on this fourth wing action. Yeah, and is it going to be more like the commercial romance situation where these books sell, but Emily Henry is kind of the top of what you can do there because that's way below Fourth Wing, right? Like, and that that's it. That has generated its own durable, at least for several years, genre. Colleen Hoover will put those in there, but none of those sold like Fourth Wing examples. I think Red Tower and Entangled may have an advantage for a couple reasons. One is they have all those books sell. They've got a war chest now they can go spend and buy. But they're pipe because this is what they're doing. They're, they, they've got January 9th titles, new debut yeah. romances coming out, where the rest of publishing is a year behind yes. because they're like, well, wait, what is happening here? So <laughs> maybe there's still some kindling for them to catch. Will another one of these series jump the tree line as the forest fire? Mm-hmm. This is the hardest thing to do. And mm-hmm. The first one, is it lightning in the bottle? Are there two strikes in there? Is it a genre? I, we're going to find out, Rebecca. And that's a story, probably my number one story going into next year. I think so, especially given what we were talking about last week where you were sort of reminding me and the listeners that it, there is a case to be made that Fourth Wing is the second lightning in the bottle, yes. that A Court of Thorns yes. and Roses, or I think that's it, Thorns and Roses, was the first big romanticy, yeah. and that Fourth Wing has been riding those coattails. Um, so if that is what has happened, getting a third lightning in a bottle moment is a really big gamble. Yeah. And will it go to anybody whose name is not Rebecca Yaros? 
It's a great question. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the YA dystopia, right? We got two, maybe. I mean, there was a couple. Mm-hmm. There were some other successes, but we got Suzanne Collins and then like half of Veronica Roth. That yeah, re- that's right. Has anyone done the deep dive of what happened to those movies and books at the end? I've never seen the big piece of like oh. one of them went straight to video or straight. Yeah, to TV they just got the increasingly end. bad, is what I read they, about they them. Really <laughs> did not finish strong. Uh, yeah, because I, I think I read the the third one, but I may have I may have DNF'd it. And that is unusual for me. Anyway, mm-hmm. not to not to pour more, um, to shovel more dirt onto that particular grave. But what I'm saying here is we're in the realm right now of this doesn't happen, where you get three strikes of lightning in a new genre like this that, that exists at this level. Because even the Harry Potters of the world, did you get another one? No. Maybe some of the Rick Riordan stuff you could attribute to that? Um, but And that's but bigger than that any scale. of these. Nothing right. on that scale. It just, it just doesn't happen that way. So I would be in favor of there for Amazon for Goodreads every year to have one portmanteau category. Mm. Like what's the portmanteau category of the year? Or just like the breakout genre of the year. Like we could have you could have done domestic thrillers in the couple years after Gone Girl. You definitely could have made that its own thing. Or just best book with girl in the title for a couple years there. A couple years ago you could have manga easily. Mm -hmm. Easily Mm -hmm. have done manga. I mean this happens from time to time. And then if this is not one, you gotta make one up. Um, one other note here. I think we need to do something about this fiction, historical fiction me too. problem. This bothers me every year. Because <laughs> I was looking through the fiction list and starting to rage. <laughs> oh, no. They're just all hiding in historical fiction. They're all, all the hiding books we love this year fiction. are hiding yeah, in historical, are hiding fiction. historical fiction. And there's a new book out now called Writing Backwards about the the um, historical fictionification of the American canon. Dan Sinekin talks a little bit about historical fiction, also mm-hmm. in big fiction, about why this is an interesting trend from more of an academic point of view. I, I just think we need to stop. What are we doing here? Yeah. To me, you're like historical fiction. And I think to most readers, when you're talking about historical fiction, you're talking about like, and I think we've sort of had this conversation before, but like where the story is really about like that thing happening in this particular history or like all yeah. these World War II lady spy librarian books historical fiction but like the vaster wilds by lauren groff let us descend <laughs> by doing? jasmine ward the heaven and earth grocery store Covenant these are books water, that like banyan moon i mean right, what are we doing like a book that takes place in the past i don't think is by definition historical fiction those are not stories that are trying to like explicate life at that time necessarily yeah. or like educate the reader about life at that time <laughs> Well, then Tom Lake, Tom Lake is historical fiction. I'm sorry, it is. No. But that's in best fiction. That's historical fiction. And Neapolitano's, that is is historical fiction. I don't know. There's stuff in fiction that's, I'm confused. It makes no sense. I know. Half of the bee sting by Paul Murray takes place like in the 70s. (laughs) Yeah. It's very confusing. And and blackouts, have fun with that. Um, I'm... (laughs) I mean, it goes back and forth and memory, and I'm not even sure we're in the present in the present. It, it bears its own thing, but I feel like we've lost the plot here a little bit. It's, um, this happens every sure. year. I, when the Underground Railroad was out that year, it yeah. was it was not in the fiction category. It was in historical fiction, and I know we had the same conversation. Like, what are we doing here? 
Well, I th- so well, here's how I would do it. I would keep historical fiction, but I would make the fiction category that can be from any of the fiction groups. So it's just the best mm, of the best. Okay. Because I'm looking best at mystery picture. and thriller. Yeah. yeah, it's best picture. Like I think all the sinners bleed is in it's in mystery thriller. Or I have some questions for you. Those are just mm-hmm. the ones I happen to have read. Happiness falls. Yes. All of those should be eligible to me to, for fiction, right? Just whatever the top three or four that they want to put over here. And they could do the same for horror, romance, whatever. But like this weird designation between contemporary fiction and historical fiction, I don't think that actually serves any utility at all no, right now. I because don't think it does either. I don't think people like, I only like historical. They're not, I don't think it's a genre reader like they're well, a science fiction reader. Yeah, I just don't think well, there is. I think there, well, I think there is a genre reader for historical fiction. Well, there fiction. is, you're right. And like, we have but a But they're historical... not picking up Vaster Wild. Exactly, that's, the that's, problem. that's yeah. what it is. Like, and you know, yeah. we have a historical fiction newsletter. My mom goes into her local library and asks right. for historical fiction. And she's not looking for the Covenant of Water and the Vaster no. Wilds and Let Us Descend. She is looking for Lady Librarian Spies in, ni- in the you Echo, know, the Echo of Old Books too. by right. Barbara Davis. That's, I'm sure, yeah, no. And that, right, that is what a reader who's like searching for historical fiction or who's who tells you, hey, I want a historical fiction book on my yeah. holiday gift list. That is what they are looking for. And this just does not serve the reader. I don't know who this historical fiction list serves or like how you arrive at, okay, well, these books are set in the past, therefore we should put them on this historical I, I fiction think list. It, I think it's the, the phenomena that Sinekin and I think his name is Alexander Hamshell, I have to get that right, are kind of arguing is that the historical fiction of literary fiction has made this happen, mm-hmm. where there's a lot more of these. But look, Beloved is 1987. And Beloved would be clearly historical fiction if we're doing this kind of sorting hat. <laughs> and I I just don't think that's what anyone is... That's not what we're talking about. No. And, but applying a strict, is it mostly set or entirely set more than 20 years ago? If that's your if that's your definition, then these are right, Yes, I guess. That's just and, the wrong definition. Fiction, that, but I think that's lost its utility because the Paris Daughter... Which sounds like it was made by ChatGPT, but it's it's a real thing here. Next to the Banyan Moon and Heaven with Gersh, it's like it's nonsensical. Yeah, it doesn't make it does not make sense. It doesn't serve okay. readers. It doesn't. I don't think it's useful even for like the writers who are going to win these categories or who want to like. You well, know, ain't at no least one's trying to win this. No one's right. like I'm trying to win the historical celebrate and crow that. about the thing like. Yeah. You want to be recognized in the category that you're writing in. And somebody like Jesmyn Ward and James McBride, they are writing literary fiction. That is literary yes. fiction that belongs yeah. in a fiction. And maybe Goodreads needs to do that. Maybe we need a fiction category. Call that, call that literary like, fiction and then yeah. this is historical fiction. Have yeah, like, or have like commercial and literary fiction or like general yeah. contemporary fiction, literary fiction and historical. You could get granular. And like God knows with the data Goodreads has, if yeah. anybody can get granular, it's them. Like we can right. break out fantasy romance and romanticy but all we can have for the vast world of other kinds of fiction is not only that we get romanticy fantasy and young adult fantasy right. so we've got three three and a half fantasy <laughs> categories or three will there be a young adult romanticy category next year breaking I out mean, the ones that are know. spicy for grown-ups and you know mid-spicy yeah. for well the, here's the, the other kids. one i think is making a comeback is new adult watch out for that too i'm mm-hmm. putting a stake in the ground there um as well fine i did for today in books um, for paid subscribers over there, I made my picks in each category, followed oh, by a okay. confidence rating for each of those picks. Um, <laughs> as a preview, you get to pick two categories, and I will tell you what my pick is and what my confidence rating for it was. Right okay. now, Rebecca, this is special I mean, for you on the show. Uh, let me make sure I have my 
okay. uh, post here ready to go. So you, you, I'm, I'm vamping while I get my uh, Substack dashboard. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, okay. I mean, obviously, I have to ask what your fiction pick was. My uh, fiction pick, I did end up picking Tom Lake by Ann Patchett with mm. a confidence rating of eight. Okay. Eight out of ten? Eight out of ten. And my, let me read into my prose. Next to each pick, I will give a confidence rating from one to ten, with one meaning might as well throw a dart, and ten <laughs> meaning I would bet my coffee maker on it, a.k.a. Immortal Lock. <laughs> there will be no tens. That's what okay. I wrote. So mm-hmm. that's <laughs> so that's right. So fiction, I have Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. Coffee. Okay. I yes. think that's a good guess. That's a good... Knowing what we know about, you know, the broad reading public and how Ann Patchett yeah. does with the general reading public that votes mm-hmm. on the Goodreads Choice Awards. I and this is top shelf Ann Patchett. Not only, I think Tom Lake is top shelf Ann Patchett. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's bounce to nonfiction. Nonfiction. Okay. This one I went a little more regression to the mean um, because I thought some of the dad book stuff might split votes which often wins here. Mm-hmm. So I went Eight Rules of Love by Jay Shetty, which has sold. And I feel like there's sold. enough people that have read that. And people have read that, I think, really have engaged with people. I think it's a bit of a social video phenomenon, too. Yes. But having said that, a confidence rating of only five. Okay. Um, for that. Yeah. Yeah. I can see a couple others on here that might be I'll tell you getters. this. I'll let you guess this. Uh, one more, and then we'll get we'll move along. Uh-huh. I only have I have one category with a confidence rating of one, so might as well throw a dart. Would you like to guess what category that was? Is it humor? No, young adult fiction. <laughs> okay, you were more confident about your humor guess than about young adult fiction. Uh, my humor guess was two, so okay. I mean, I guess a hundred percent more confident. I don't know if this is a Geiger counter situation where it's uh, uh, what's an algorithmic growth or just linear, but. Um, anyway, so anyway, that that's fun. Maybe, when I was writing this, like, oh, this is when we're doing two shows a week. Yes. This is the kind of gag we're going to have to bring out. Uh, <laughs> Listen, when, uh, we are not going to run out of ideas. And I'm no. not, can I just safely operate under the assumption that Britney Spears is going to win the memoir and autobiography <sighs> category? You know, I, I, did, I did put that there with a confidence rating only of six, though. Because she got to compete because against Prince Harry. She's got to compete against Harry. There's, there's um, also a Jessica, uh, not um, Jessica, Pamela Anderson. Mm-hmm. So do some, does it split the vote a little bit? I don't know. I've also heard that while the first week sales of that book have been tremendous, I think if you were interested in it, you probably already bought it. I think that's right. That's what I'm hearing about this, the shape of sales for that. So again, that would be my pick, but I've got a little, I might be a situation where I'm overthinking that and knowing a little bit too much, mm. um, but that's what I have there. Okay. What do we have left on the list? I've got, I'm outside of my agenda tabs. I've, I've gone feral here. So oh, okay. What, what I think we've next? knocked off all the ones that are most interesting. We have a few minutes yeah. left. Let's do some front list for you. Okay. You go first because I can't even remember what I've read. So I got to go <laughs> okay. get in my spreadsheet. Yeah. It's been a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let me narrow down. Um, I read Data Baby by Susanna Breslin, which oh, yeah. really interesting. So she grew up in Berkeley when she was like six hours old. Her father drove over to the university and enrolled her in a longitudinal study that would follow her until she was 32. And the book is about her trying to make sense of who she is and in what ways being the subject of study for most of her life shaped her. (laughs) This one is, I mean, that's like a setup that is straight to the the center of the Shinsky wheelhouse. No one puts baby in methodology corner. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was it was really really interesting. Um, what else? Oh, I did read The Vulnerables by Secret Nunez after we talked about it. I finished that it. this morning. Let's talk okay. about that for a minute. Okay. You yeah. give your take first because well, you influenced my reading, but yeah. let's talk about it. It's pitched as like a writer. It's a co- it's pitched as a COVID novel about a yeah. writer who is like alone Which... in an apartment in New York with a parrot that can talk to her. And uh-huh. I liked that pitch a lot. <laughs> I also really liked the book, but I don't think the book is what it says on the tin. No, like, it's, it's not. just it's not. It's just a parrot, and some parrots talk. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like a Doctor Doolittle situation, right? Magical or like realism, something that, or... or like magical realism, Helen McDonald, yeah. something like that. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, I like ca- that. It, right, I would read magical realism, I'm, Helen McDonald. <laughs> Does somebody so want to get on that for me? Yeah. Uh, it's set during COVID, but it's not really a COVID novel. It's mostly a writer of a not like it's a novel about a writer thinking about what it is to be a writer. Like, yep. it's explicitly a book that's about art. Um, yes. And I did enjoy it. It's short. Uh, it was an easy read. Nunez is an interesting writer. They're like little slips into memory and slips into like reverie of stuff about writing and what she's thinking about and, you know, complexities of what writers decide to write about and what they don't. And does it hurt people if they write about real people that they know and all those kinds of things. But like this is a you're inside a novelist's head for, yes. for like 200 pages. I enjoyed it. I don't know who to recommend it to. It is not a book about a woman spending COVID talk. To a parrot. <laughs> no, it's not that. Um, I really liked it. I liked it better than I thought. I, w- okay. I was circling it when you said you had read it, and it's that the maybe a little bit of not false advertising, but I think it's harder to pitch. You just said it's harder yeah. to pitch, and maybe a parrot during COVID and a writer locked up with a hot guy, sort of, but it doesn't sort of, matter. But much yeah. younger. And it's not much a cougar younger, situation. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's about aging too, but it's a, the vulnerables being about people who are vulnerable, which is maybe all of us. I think is the subtitle <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, of the book in some way. I started off thinking it was slight, and I moved on to th- moving on. To, I moved on to thinking it was sly, and okay. I think eventually I think it might be something more than that, where it's disarmingly colloquial and you know informal. And stream of consciousness, but it's remember this is not memoir, this is performance. So it's a performance of those things. Right. And Union is commenting on commenting to some degree, which I find delightful. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of references to other writers, which I just found extremely fun. I would love to talk to Nunez about her commonplace books, like where did she keep yes, all of these quotes yes. and where did she put them and how did she organize them? But I think a little bit like Fira Lee's, the 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 musical piece that starts out very simply it grows into something more complicated and it sneaks up on you into mm-hmm. something quite beautiful. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, it's not even a novel, though. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, I mean, it's fiction, but <laughs> I guess there's a beginning and end where she enters in this popper and ends up, but it's not about that. But she's referencing also Proust. So she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. It's about mm-hmm. memory. She like, references smart. this book called I Remember by Joe Brainerd about how that's structured each sentence as I remember. And then the whole next section of the book is structured that way. Yeah. So it's really playful and cerebral, but heartfelt. I, I thought it was very, very good. I really yeah. did. It felt to me like a writer really having a good time running around in her own brain and letting yeah. us hang out there. Um, I'm glad that I read it. I, 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 would, I just spent like the first you know quarter of it being like, okay, so talking parrot. <laughs> but once I got past yeah. what the pitch had been, I did really like it. Um, it kind of feels see. to me like if Jenny Offal was 40 years older yeah, or 30 years yes. older, it's That's the kind of book one. she was like a little of the... 
little of the sharpness of life has been dulled, but has then been replaced by a you know, you know a retrospective melancholy mm-hmm. and, a th- and feeling of time's passage. Yeah, um, and you know, Department of Speculation will turn ten next year, so we might have to find an excuse to reread. Is that some true? Awful. It is. I was doing research for this podcast last week. Oh my god. <laughs> Okay. We are aging. Uh, wow. Let's see. Wow. Okay. My, I guess my last pick, I've had a, a really good reading round. I, I read the new Adam Grant, Hidden Potential. Ah, um, yes. Yes. Did you read it too? It's on my, it's on okay. audio list. Okay. Speaking of things we could do in those segments, I think at the first of the month, we should have a here's how to spend your 15 hours of, Ooh, audio, of Spotify yes. this month. I like that. Yeah. How are you going to um, spend your 15 wild and pre- we'll call it the Mary <laughs> Oliver audiobook hour. <laughs> Your wild and precious audio book <laughs> no, time. God, yes. <laughs> oh, we are who we are. Um, we are who we are. We are. I, I really liked this Adam Grant. It's so hidden potential. The argument that he's making is that how we assess people's potential should not just be based on what they've achieved in the past, but on how far they had to travel or what they had to overcome to get to those achievements. So that mm-hmm. something that's maybe a less shiny achievement on its face is actually a much bigger mark in favor of a person's potential if you know that you know they really had to overcome a bunch of things to get there. It's kind of a like data-backed anti-imposter syndrome take, Mm. but from a systemic perspective, like he spends a couple chapters writing about schools. Uh, There's a lot of stuff around hiring. I think it's really interesting if you're a person who like is a manager or runs a business or is a teacher. Like if you are in a position where you have to evaluate individuals' potential to try to make decisions about like who you're going to hire or how you're going to write a letter of recommendation or you know something like that. Um, It has really interesting things to say, and it comes with all of the good Adam Grant, you know, social and psychological research footnotes like you could have a really good time just digging through those footnotes and going to read other studies it is less geared towards the like individual self-helpy personal growth things than his past Mm -hmm. couple of books have been but i found myself really welcoming that because like one of the downsides of self-help on an individual level is that it often ignores the systemic things that people are up against. So I found that like most of the notes that I took in Hidden Potential were about like, oh, how could we apply this idea in a work context? How could I apply this idea to thinking about hiring? What does this mean for, you know, when you're talking about, you know, kids in schooling or or other things like that? I thought it was an interesting take. I don't know if this is a new direction for him or just where he went in this book, but I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Um, vulnerables we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess to wrap up my feelings or thoughts, reaction to How to Say Babylon by Safia Sinclair, which oh, I think I said yeah. I was in the middle of last time. Uh, probably 100 pages too long, but really excellent. Very mm-hmm. good on audio. Um, I'm seeing it appearing in some best of lists. Not a surprise to me in the memoir category. Um, quite a story. I think every trigger warning I have. Yes, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, triggered by that particular one. Um, and then also I'm now in the middle of everything I learned. I learned in a Chinese restaurant by Curtis Chin, which is a memoir of growing up as the son of a family who was running a Chinese restaurant in the Chinatown of Detroit, sort of right, kind of exactly my age, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit older. Um, and then also a coming out story at the same time. I found the whole super interesting. 
a brisk 304 pages. Love to see it. While I'm on it, um, we also need to give some notes to Spotify's audiobook un, um, un, uh, user interface experience. Mm. If I pull up the audiobook I was listening to recently and I just hit the play button, that does not mean I want to start the book over. That means I'd oh. like to begin where I left mm-hmm, off. Mm-hmm. And we call chapters tracks here, and we do not need to do that. These are we chapters. We do not need to do that, yes. So those are, we're, we're getting our sea legs under us. That's Work fine. in the kinks But just out, a couple of notes. Because um, anyone's had the experience of accidentally telling their audiobook platform that they want to start at the beginning also knows that sometimes means you don't know where you stopped and remember. <laughs> so you've got to scrub through. And <laughs> there's, you know, one of... Audiobooks are wonderful, and I think in a lot of, especially memoirs narrated by the person, I think it is mm-hmm. the defa- is a gold standard experience of that particular text. But that doesn't mean there's without downsides, and one of those downsides is flipping to the page you were, even knowing when a chapter is beginning, beginning or ending, or a break or a section break. It's like I'm not timing in my head how long the pause is and saying is that just a section break or a chapter break or a right. part break with multiple blank pages. So we need to call these chapters and help me. Help you help me stay on Spotify's <laughs> audiobooks platform, Spotify. So there's yes. that. Oh, I have one yeah. more. Yay. Since we're in Hallmark holiday movie season. Oh. <laughs> I I have to shout out a fun holiday romance series. I read the first one last year called A Merry Little Meet Cute. It's a collaboration uh. by Julie Murphy and Sierra Simone. Uh, the second one in the series is out now and it's called Holly Jolly ever after and these are about uh, the first one is about a porn star who like goes straight to star in a Hallmark movie and falls in love with the guy who's playing the hero he's a like bad boy a former bad boy from a boy band who's also trying to repair his reputation Mm. this second one is another member of the boy band who has grown up he's from kansas city so we get some kansas city stuff he has grown up he owns a pizza parlor and somehow he has also been drafted into like starring in one of these hallmark movies except whatever they call the hallmark channel in these books uh it had so much success with last year's that now the like Hallmark stand-in channel is going to do spicy after dark movies. And so this guy Whoa. is starring in one with a woman who was a child star on something that sounds like Seventh Heaven, like a cr- very Christian mm. conservative thing. And of course they meet and it's very spicy. Um, and they, you know, they spend a couple weeks shooting this spicy movie together in a small town in Vermont where everything is decorated like the holidays and things happen. But for holiday romance, it's a good time. It was a good Saturday afternoon. I'm so happy for you. That sounds like a great time for you. I would fall off my chair if I got a text from you one day that was like, look at this holiday romance I just read. You'll love it, Rebecca. I mean, look, spicy versions of extant genres are a thing. Hallmantasy. That's what we're talking about. That's what it is. Hallmark After Dark. Like, it just it's hilarious. You can tell talking about authors having a good time. Like, you can tell yeah. that Julie Murphy and Sierra Simone had a really good time imagining like if you tried to turn a Hallmark movie into basically a softcore porn, what would happen? Well, that's how I like to end the show most of the time. <laughs> You're um, welcome. As always, you can find the show notes at bookwright.com slash, list, slash listen. You can shoot us an email, podcast at bookwright.com. Check out the Book Riot Podcast Patreon, patreon.com slash bookwrightpodcast. Think about kicking a few bucks into the kitty. Keep the thing rolling. We're going to do it up. Um, check out First Edition. That's You can also find that bookwright.com slash first edition, but all the show notes will be there. 
and get those recommendation requests yes. if you have a burning desire to get something in there. This is I really a- need someone to give me a tree to hang Age of Vice on, so I'm really looking for it. I think this is our last like normal episode of the year. Yeah, the it, next- it cannonballs into weirdness here yeah. pretty quick. The next two weeks are going to be holiday gift shows, and then after that, we'll be wrapping up the year. Next week yeah. on the Patreon, you can hear us do deals, 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 which is when Jeff rounds up the most interesting and exciting and weird book deal announcement from Publishers Lunch over yeah. several months months and pitches them to me i'm gonna have uh, to limit to 49 romantic <laughs> announcements that's I, you know I'll they're all gonna numbers. start sounding the same yeah. you should yeah. uh, maybe for the next quarter just track how many romantic deal announcements you see <sighs> to give you another project like, doesn't sound like a good time for me honestly <laughs> but I'll, I'll see uh everyone thanks so much rebecca we'll talk to you later